The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. directional passage. I pray you open our hearts to see what we need as a church, what we need as individuals, what we need as families, as men, women, young, old, and and everything in between. Father, your word speaks, not because the pastor speaks, often despite the pastor, but Father, I pray that you speak through your words, not mine, but your words this morning as we open up the greatest word, which is your scripture, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I hope you got your uh, Richard Simmons shoes on because we're going to be preparing for lots of movement. By the way, he retired and he's out wandering around somewhere if you're a Richard Simmons fan. Uh, my mom used to do the sweat into the oldies. I still have those videos at my house if you need them. So there they are. But you're going to prepare for lots of movement. As you follow this God, this great God, through seasons of adversity and through seasons of prosperity, there's going to be lots of movement. And what you're going to see and what we just read is that Jesus is relentless. He's ceaseless. He is going to and fro, and to keep pace with Jesus required probably to be a marathoner at that point. Notice in verse 53, it says that when they had crossed over. I don't know about you, but it seems like every other week we preach, they're crossing over the sea, doesn't it? They're going this way, they're going that way, they're going this way, they're going that way. And remember, they had just had the storm calmed. When they land here in verse 53, it is very likely they have just rowed to shore after seeing Jesus walk on the water, after rowing for almost 12 hours straight in wind and storm. How would you feel? But when they crossed over, I don't know if they could have kept up pace with him because Jesus is ready to go. He's ready to jump on. You know those people. They're just, woo, all the time. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I want to take just a moment. I'm going to give you the overview. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read to you. I'll give you an update. Where we have been about the movement of Jesus to this point. Because if we're going to serve and walk as he serves, we need to be challenged by his motivation to get the gospel out. I'm going to bullet list through this, but here it is. Mark 1, Jesus came and announced repentance. He didn't sit around. Mark 1.29, he's out and about in Capernaum. Mark 1.35, Jesus got on the move to pray. He went off by himself. Mark 1.38, he went to the towns nearby and through all Galilee. Mark 2, he gets on the roads and he starts calling people to become his disciples. Mark 3, even when others were resting on the Sabbath, Jesus is out sharing the word of God. Mark 3, 1, he's going to strategic places like, like the woman at the well and Zacchaeus. Mark 3, 7, he withdrew to the sea. Mark 3, 20, he came to his hometown and he's in and out, up and down, around and everywhere. Mark 4, he went back to the sea. Mark 4, 35, he gives uh, just one more direction. He basically tells him, let's go. Are you tired yet? Mark 5, he got out of the boat. Mark 5, 18, he got into the boat. He is just going and going and going and going. Mark 5, 21, there's a large crowd gathered around him. I mean, these disciples, seriously, these disciples had to have a health club membership. They had to be in the best shape of their lives. Mark 5, 33, he raises Jairus' daughter. Mark 6, 1, he goes to his hometown and gets ridiculed. Mark 6, 7, he sends out his disciples. Can we all take a collective sigh? <gasps> Lots of movement. 
Why is he doing all this? Well, why? Because he is the one, the only son of God, and he has come to a place where he knows his ministry is getting ready to land. We have 10 chapters before we're done with Mark, but Jesus is really finishing up his most popular ministry. Notice when they crossed over, he goes, and notice in verse 56, we'll get there in a few minutes, but he goes to every village, villages plural, cities plural, countryside. He is just going, 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 going. And he came, and and it says there in verse 53, they came and they moored to the shore. And they look over this great plan of Gennesaret. It's a beautiful land. It's like the valleys of Missouri by by the banks of the river. And when they got out of the boat, notice Jesus doesn't say, oh, time out, we're going to take a five-hour rest. What's the word say? When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. There is no break for these guys. He had been there preaching and ministering, and of course they knew who he was. So how, does this, how should this be lived out in our lives? I mean, this is what Jesus did. I mean, he's the son of God. I mean, I'm not Darren, so what does this mean for me? If we're going to be his disciples, and you'll see this on the screen, we need to follow him today. It means our lives must keep pace with him. There must be a forward movement in which we say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever new season of ministry you're calling me to, Lord, this is the pace I want to go. Well, Darren, that's to just Jesus. Well, go read the book of Acts. They went from town to town to city to city and try and keep up with Paul and Peter. I'm not talking about the band. I mean the apostles there. And this is something of what it takes to walk with Jesus. Must only not we live like he lived, we must walk like he walked. And for many of us, oftentimes, that is going to be a challenge because that is going to require us to do something different than Jesus may have asked us to do before. Not something unscriptural, not something un like God's will, but it's something different. You know, I think of John Calvin, who, John Calvin, the great reformer, who was preaching, in, in, and he was going to pass through the city of Geneva many hundreds of years ago. He was just a passing by, and he ended up, he goes, I'm just going to stay here for a night, and he had in his mind, like Paul did in Acts 16, to go somewhere, but God kept John Calvin in Geneva for over 25 years. You ever had one of those episodes in your life where God calls you somewhere and you think, this is it. I got, I'm going to set up shop right here. And then God's like, no, you're not. You're setting up shop over there. Well, where's over there, Lord? I don't know. And he just leads you step by step by step by step. So how does this speak to your heart? Friend, I pray as a church it speaks to our heart. This year we had to put on pause our Easter event, our big outreach this year, as we look internally at many things that our church is looking to shore up biblically. For many of you, that was super hard, and we super understand that. It was super hard for me. And we're challenging you to outreach in ways that are not usual for our church, but are biblical, as is the programming. But at the same time, that was a big change. God called, it seemed to us, to take a pause. But many of you, while you are in your youth, as your body can bear it up, serve the Lord. I started running again the other day, and man, I hurt. It took two months off, and that was the worst decision I think I ever could have made. I'm not, it takes me three days to recover from a run anymore. That's old, man. It's getting really, really old. But many of you are so young. Give your life to God. Go to the Muslims. Go to Africa. Go to India. Go with the gospel. Go in a time where God has called you to bear up. But don't let some of our senior saints here, don't let age be a deterrent about how God can use you. Some of you, God is priming for the best years of your life, even though you are long retired, long since past being on anyone's uh, top 20 list and most active people to call for this position or that position, 
but give God your best years, even if you don't think they are your best years. And you will believe that God will redeem those. You know, it's like those two men who are marooned on an island. I've always wanted to be marooned on an island. Wouldn't that just be fun? No cell phones, no TV, no sports teams losing, just you, the ocean, and a whole bunch of crabs. That sounds good to me. One man paced back and forth after these two guys were there, and he thought it was his last day. The other man was super relaxed. And the first man said to the second man, aren't you afraid, dude, we're going to die out here? He said, no. I told my pastor I'd give $100,000 to the church. You better believe we're going to be found. (laughs) You know, sometimes God puts you in situations that you don't expect to go. And no, if you give $100,000, we're going to look for you first and the money's secondary. We'll just say that. Just kidding. But friend, I pray wherever God puts you, if it's on a random island somewhere with an unreached people group, if it's in your neighborhood, if it is in a job, wherever you go, let it be known that Jesus moved around a lot. And as Jesus moved around a lot, he still was able to do effective ministry because his goal was not to be pleasing to himself. His goal was to be pleasing to his father. And as we are pleasing church as a church to our father, God will open those doors up. As you are pleasing in your family, God will open doors for you to minister in ways you've never been able to minister. May Christ's love be your completeness. May Christ's glory be your motivation. And may Christ's cross be your resting place. Because we need to prepare for lots of movement. You know, if, if God were to open the floodgates here on Easter Sunday and we had to go to three services, how would we handle that? Some of you say, I can't move my seat. Well, you might move your seat and you might not have a seat after that. Would you pray that God would give us wisdom as a church in our time right now? God, I praise God for what God is doing. We have people going, uh, you know, Doug and uh, Doug going down to Osage Beach with a disaster relief. We had Carmen go for three months overseas. John Moody just got back from, you know, 10 days in Africa. Aaron's going overseas. We're, Nathaniel's out preaching. We're, we're seeing people come to Christ through other means, through the Internet. God is doing missions at this church. But it may be different Not a different message, but it may be a different methodology than God has challenged us to use, starting first with us as individuals. Well, secondly, God's going to give us seasons of adversity and seasons of of prosperity through through lots of movement. But second, we need to be prepared for large multitudes. Look back at verse 55, if you will, if you have your Bible open. It says, "And, and, and they ran about the whole region. Let me just stop right there. Back in those days, you don't run. You don't even do that weird kind of shimmy you get when you do the uh, uh, race walking. You just, you just walk, and you've got to carry up your kind of dress, your tunic. And, and these people, they hear Jesus is coming, and they run. They go, and they run through the whole region. This region is two miles by four miles, by the way. Uh, that's a long region, circuitously. And, and, and what they do, they begin to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. They ran. They ran throughout the whole country. They're they're saying, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. It's kind of like, I've never been in this. Some of you, young enough to, a few years ago, I was down at the Sprint Center, and Justin Bieber came to town. I worked just down the road there at the NAI, and Justin Bieber came to town. I went on a lunch break just to see the hubbub, and there were girls that were probably 45 years old that were acting like 13-year-old girls saying, Bieber, woo! Justin's here, you know, and he came in, and it was just like this loud, piercing scream, and take that to another level. These people saw Jesus. They wanted what he could offer. 
but they are the primary PR pieces. There is no advertisement, there's no email, there's no Facebook shares, there's no Twitter retweets. The best kind of people were themselves. They heard about Jesus, they told their neighbors, and they ran to him. Notice it says the whole country. This is Gennesaret, and their enthusiasm is contagious. And they carried here and there, it says in verse uh, 55, it says they carried here and there on their beds, or your, your, your scripture might say pallet or even stretcher, they carried them wherever they heard he was. You know, it's a serious struggle to get some professing Christians even to come to church. But most of these people were not saved, but they are bringing people, not in a car, a jet, or a helicopter, but whatever it takes. They are carrying, can you see the scene? Can you see them carrying all these people running around? Have you ever done that fireman's carry before, you know, where they walk back like this and how, how hard that is? Can you imagine trying to carry an average-sized man or woman running around the countryside? They're gathering them up. Jesus is on the move, and they're trying to find him because they want to be healed. They're looking to be healed. It's like that woman in, uh, in other sections who had a disease for 18 years, and the Scripture says she gave all her money to the doctors, and they couldn't heal her, but one touch of Jesus' garment, and she was healed. And they began this procession, and they went here to there, and they're running around. They don't really know where he's at, but they're hoping to find him. But amazingly, verse 56 says, whenever he entered the villages, the cities, the marketplaces, they were there. It's one of those pictures that you think of after a war scene when, when there's, there's all these people lined up on a stretcher just waiting to be touched and waiting to be healed after a ma major disaster or war. Jesus is literally seeing people over and over and over. And the verb tense here suggests it's an ongoing action. It's imperfect. So what we know is that he is ready to go. The multitudes have come. And it's impossible to read in this and not be impressed, first with the drive of Jesus, but second with the, with the, the commitment of these people. Wherever he's at, they go. Wow. Is that not a thorn in the side of the average comfortable Christian in 21st century America? Well, I can't go to church today because my sports team lost last time. I can't go to church today because, well, I didn't wash my shirt today. I can't go to church today because the color of the carpet is still green fuchsia, whatever it was from 1983. I can't go to church today because fill in the blank. And this is not to belittle serious sickness, travel, things that would keep us away. But oftentimes, our reasons for not coming to Jesus to assemble to His people are no more than just selfish, self-centered, American cultural Christian things. And I speak 100% to myself when I say that, because I know that heart. So you know what? We give up too easy, don't we? When we start inviting people who have that attitude, we say, we, we kind of hyper-Calvinize it. We kind of say, well, I invited them to church. Oh, they don't want to come. It must not have been God's will. Oh, Really? How many times did it take before you and I came to know Jesus Christ? For many of you, it was pound, 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 pound. For some of you, it was dramatic like Paul. You heard the gospel, you responded, the hallelujah chorus started, and just I am played, and Billy Graham preached, and you came down the aisle. But that's not, that's not usual. For these people who are secular, most of them don't even know who Christ really is. They just know he can heal. They are looking at this as a means to an end, and they are determined to bring people to Jesus. And Megan will put this up, friend, how determined we need to be to find people and bring them to Jesus Christ. Is that our attitude? Darren, I'm not much of an evangelist, but 
you can invite. Darren, I, I don't know if I can do it the way Jesus did or these people did it. Well, be like that persistent widow, man. You remember Luke 18, 1? Jesus told them a parable that they ought to pray and never give up. And the parable is about a lady who kept just jabbering in the ear of the official. And finally, the official said, just be quiet. Get what you want. Friends, what would it look like for you and me to emulate these people in these verses? We need to be like them. We need to go to and fro, constantly bringing people to Jesus. We need to be running to people and bringing them where the Lord is magnified. You know what the biggest PR piece for our church is? You know, we're getting ready to switch out our website, and I'll, I'll cue you into that in another email. We're going to switch out our website. It's going to be nice and pretty, much shinier than it is now. But it's not our website. It's not the cool Facebook Live that's right there going on all over the world right now that Gilbert and Cameron do on a faithful basis. It's not the Yellow Pages. Do you still read the Yellow Pages? It's not Facebook. It's not uh, advertisement in the newspaper. It's not radio ads. It is you. You are the greatest mouthpiece for Jesus Christ that we could ever bring. I am the greatest mouthpiece for Jesus Christ that you could ever bring. We each are given that opportunity. And what this passage screams is that each and every one of us needs to be running around. Can you imagine if each of us tried to pray for two people in our sphere of influence that doesn't know Jesus, and we faithfully prayed and faithfully shared what this church would look like if that happened? We'd be looking for a new, we'd we'd have five or six services, no kidding, if that happened. Who do you need to bring and go get? Who do you need to show the Lord to? Who is the last person you brought? You know, it's kind of like that young salesman who was disappointed uh, about losing a big sale. It's like this picture you see. I'm not, I've never ridden a horse before. I don't want to try. I fall off the ones at Walmart that you pay 25 cents for. It is what it is. But this salesman was disappointed, this young salesman, that he lost the big sale. And he talked with his manager, and he just lamented. He said, I guess it just proves, and you know the phrase, I can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You know it. And the wise manager replied, son, your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. And so it is with evangelism. Friends, we're, our, our job is not to save people. That's Christ's job. But do our lives, do our churches, do our ministries, do our families, are, are we so filled with Christ that we create a thirst for the gospel, for the Holy Spirit to use to draw people to Jesus? That's our prayer. How does this apply to our church? Church, I would challenge each of us, and I, I'm including myself in this. My wife and I are, are I, I, we're working in our neighborhood trying to invite a couple neighbors and, uh, who have uh, some, you know, just connections there to come to church, come to church, come to church. And we, we're probably pretty annoying right now. We probably are. Uh, but praise God, it's, in, it's, it's, it's directional, it's intentional, but we pray as we, we talk with them and be neighborly to them that they come to Christ. Would you pray, not that God would just raise up big numbers, but would you pray that God would raise up people in our church to share the gospel intentionally and faithfully wherever we are? That is our prayer. And you never know how God will bring long people who need Christ. Number three, the reality of following God's plan. Do you need to prepare for lots of movement? God's going to call you places you may not know. You need to prepare for large multitudes. And finally, and this is where it gets kind of non-baptistic here, but you need to prepare for long-awaited miracles. Look back at verse 56 as it says. And so they're bringing all these people. They're running to and fro. They're, they're crying out to Jesus. They implore him that they might even, verse 56, touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him were healed. 
Look, it is worth bringing people to Jesus, not like we bring them to him and nothing happens. You know, some people would say, well, just that old feel the dreams thing, if you build it, they will come. That didn't quite work out for a lot of churches. You can build a lot of things, but if Christ isn't in the center of it, they ain't going to come because someone has to tell them. These people have come because they have heard, they've been invited, they have seen the miracles, they've done everything, and now they are being healed. When we bring people to Jesus where he is lifted up like Tower View is and made known, our Lord has an amazing way of honoring faith. Do you remember back to Mark chapter 2? It's been, it's been 13 months since we were there. You slept a lot since then. But my friend Brian Peters came and preached. It's about the man and the paralytic. Do you remember this? And they cut the hole out of the roof, and his friends put him down, uh, put him down to Jesus in this big room. And Mark says in Mark 2 that when he saw their faith, he said to them, take up your pallet and walk. Their faith, plural, was more than the paralytic. When Jesus said, wow, they have faith, I'm going to do something, I'm not going to disappoint them, Jesus not only healed them physically, he healed them spiritually. And that's exactly what's happening here in verse 56. As many as touched him were cured. And Megan's going to put this up. This tells us four things about Jesus very quickly. First, his availability. Isn't this awesome? Jesus is available to you and to me. He's not some faraway, distant deity who's, who's out there snoozing. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. They could get to him. They could hold him. They could touch him. They could be a part of his life just like that. And praise God, through faith in Christ, if you're not a Christian, that same availability is here for you. But notice, secondly, his willingness. He cured them all. Notice there was no precondition here. It didn't say if you give $5,000 to our ministry and call this special number, Benny Hinn will send you some special water that you throw on yourself and get healed. It's not what it said here. Jesus healed all who came to him. And friends, what that speaks to our church is volumes. They didn't turn away folks that didn't look like themselves. Racially, socially, culturally, orientationally, he brought them all. But notice, thirdly, his power. No one was too blind. No one was too lame. No, no one was too infirmed or too paralyzed, too cool, too uncool, too rich, too poor, that Jesus was able to do it all. He healed them all just like that. And notice, fourthly, his sufficiency. He didn't lose power. He wasn't like Superman who needed, uh, what was it, uh, uh, kryptonite, right? Yeah. Jesus had to go back, or, or Jesus, woo, uh, uh, Superman had to go back to his planet and get kryptonite. To get refueled. Jesus doesn't have that. Jesus doesn't lose the power and get it back. Lose the power and get it back. There's no magic in his cloak. They are reaching by faith to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are, notice what it says there. They are cured. Cured how? Literally the word here means saved and delivered. Friends, they are not just getting physically cured. The verse implies that they are being spiritually cured as well. They're not just believing that Jesus can heal their woes physically, but the greatest healing of all is happening. They are experiencing a miracle. They are being saved. Wow. Whether he healed one, a hundred, a million, there is no end to his power. He is saving these people left and right. Has our Jesus become so cultural that we believe there are some people that are beyond the reach of Jesus to reach? Is the drunk at the, the bar last night in Westport who's still hung over? Right now, because of St. Patty's Day, is he beyond the reach of Jesus Christ? No, he's not. It's the guy who has it all together, whose, whose lawn is like perfect, even in March, 
and who like gets out there and cuts them with little clippers, you know, and he has a perfect non uh, like my, you know, non-wrinkled shirt, and he just looks good. He, he's got five and a half kids, 2.75 cars, and a $300,000 mortgage, and he always smiles at you when you walk by. Is he beyond the reach of Jesus? No. Is the average Joe who walks into the street who's just trying to keep, live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck? No, because as you know, church, no one is beyond the reach of Christ because he's available, he's willing, he's powerful, and he is enough, he's sufficient. And that's the awesome thing. Who do we need to bring to Christ? Is it a child? Is it a spouse? Is it an in-law? Is it a co-worker? Who is it? Jesus is enough. We must be determined for that end. And, and, and what do you need to bring to Jesus? What is it? Do you need to bring your 401k, your retirement, your, your, your loans, your, your what? But let me tell you this very clearly. Whatever you bring to Jesus, He heals. Because He has all authority and power and, and, and praise. I can't tell you what God's will is in every situation, but I will tell you whatever you bring to Him, He heals. You know, sometimes you can pray the most for someone to be healed, and God's will is for that person to pass so greater glory can be brought forth. Lazarus is a gl- great example of that. But he never does what is wrong. He always does what is right, and he never disappoints. That's our Jesus. And you don't know until you brought it to him. It's a, it's a strained relationship, a strained marriage, a failed marriage, a need for guidance, a need for a job, a need for finances, a need, <laughs> praise God for all our students, a need to graduate. Amen a promotion, to have a family, whatever it is, bring it to Jesus. He will know what to do. He'll do the right thing, and he will take it from there. That is our God. Put it on a pallet, so to speak, load it up, come to his throne of grace, bring it to Jesus, and Jesus will do what is right. What's the difference between that and prosperity teaching? The difference is, is I didn't promise you, Jesus is going to give you a big five square million square foot mansion and a Lamborghini, but he's going to do what's right. God is overall, and he will do what is right. Aren't you glad that there's no condition on who can come to Jesus? Aren't you grateful for that? Red or yellow, black or white, we are all precious in his sight. What does this teach us as we close? Let me give you four more. Uh, I blogged about this on my personal blog. There's so much here, guys, but I want to remind you just four quick things. We've got about four minutes to go, so here we go. What's this mean for us? Number one, there is dramatic brokenness in this world. There's dramatic brokenness in this world. I've tried to imagine when the word gets out and these dear people bring Christ, all they're sick and lame and not able to get off the beds. Imagine the people pushing and shoving and somehow, some way, his touch will heal them. Friends, sin has left a dramatic break in our world. We should not be surprised of violence. We should not be surprised of wars. We should not be surprised of the terribleness that happens all around us, even in ways we don't know. People who walk in the middle of the street, women with, with no legs beyond their knees, you know, people who just can't ever get cured. The world has been ravaged by sin, and Romans 8 says the world groans for redemption. But why is there hope in such a moment as this? There is hope because God knows that the only way the broken will be fixed is if he sends his son and he invades the earth. And praise God, he did. The creator is able to touch his creation and renew it by its power. He didn't have a medical degree. He didn't have anything else, but at his command, it is healed. Friends, the son of God, Jesus Christ, alters everything he touches because he is almighty God. 
What sin do you need to bring to Him today that you say, I could not take that to Jesus, let alone tell anyone? Friends, there is no sin so deep, so wide, so profound that God cannot heal. Andy Nisley, thank you for reading the Scripture this morning. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Secondly, as we end, notice the amazing compassion of Jesus. Whether a major man whose daughter has died, Jairus in Mark 5, or a person who suffered for a long time, or a hungry crowd, or doubting disciples, Jesus shows his amazing compassion to us. I'll be honest with you. This is a pastor, hashtag pastor fail with this on Friday. I was in the middle of just uh, getting done doing some hospital visitation, and I was at Aldi, and, and this man in front of me asked, you have $5. And I don't carry cash, so don't try and rob me after service, Okay. So, but he asked, do you have $5? And without even thinking about it, I said, no, I don't. And he walked out the door, and, 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 and he walked down the street, clearly homeless, couldn't find him after that. I just said, are you dummy? Seriously, you could have charged it to a card. You, praise God, you have that opportunity. And just how absorbed I was in myself. And, and, and this, this, this verse came to mind. It's like God just threw the hammer up and said, Dare, you're going to be preaching on this, and you're not even living it out. But what if he would have used it for this, that, or the other? Derek, the arguments I was throwing at God were nothing. Darren, he's buying bread. He's buying food. The amazing compassion of our God in, in our self-centered world just blows my mind. And praise God for forgiveness. Third, redemption is total restoration, guys. When someone comes to Jesus, he doesn't half save them. He doesn't three-fourths save them. He saves them all the way. So glad about that, aren't you? He doesn't leave you. You're not a half Christian. You don't have to speak in tongues to prove that you're a Christian. There are not half Christians out there. You are either fully saved or you're fully not. You either fully know Jesus or you don't. It's kind of like that cat walking on a fence between two bulldogs. There's no neutrality here. Either you are walking the narrow way with Christ or you're being swallowed up by those big bulldogs somewhere along the side. But God gives total restoration. I praise God. He could heal everything in my body and make me the most bionic man ever, but if he did not forgive my soul, I have no hope. He heals us completely. Finally, you and I are called to love messy people. I have three of them at home, and they get messy in different ways, let me tell you. Uh, especially Seth, when he gets a hold of guacamole, that's what we're into right now. He's guacamole like, oh, anyway. It's not what I'm talking about. You are called to love people that are not of this world in a way, that are different in a way than most are in churches today. We have said this very much from this pulpit. We play, pray this church is known as a place where it's okay not to be okay, but we're going to point you back to the Savior who is perfect in every way. Does that make sense? We want this church to be a place where no matter what you're struggling with, you don't feel like at some point you can never step up here and not be welcome. But at the same time, we're not going to leave you where you are because we weren't left where we were. We want to point you to the love, grace, mercy, and compassion of Christ. But with the truth that undergirds all that, that there is a sin, there is judgment, but praise God, He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Has your view of people changed so much by the culture that no matter who comes your way, you'd be willing to say, Lord, let that messy person in my life, even if it wrecks my suburban dream? These are challenges that come from this text. Friend, our church, I praise God for our church. We live in uh, the area, and I, you know this, we live in the, the most uh, impoverished area of the Clay County County. But what I love about our church, and what I love about you all so much, is that no matter who walks in here, you live this out to the best of your ability. Come on down. 
There's a place for you here. There's a spot for you here. We'd love to have you. Come on down. Church, don't ever lose that. Because the moment we lose that, we lose everything Jesus just did for us. Let's pray as we close out today. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we know nothing can change your word. Father, this ministry.